You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Okay, let's let's break for a uh, a word from our sponsor. Which That's a joke. One? We don't we don't Which have any sponsors. Well, we don't have any sponsors. We've got AA sponsors, but we don't have uh, podcast sponsors. So that was a uh, that was a little joke. And if if you're if you're listening and you ever hear uh, advertisement on here, or you you hear us ask for money, cut us off and run. We, uh, <laughs> we've we, lost our minds if that we've happens. Lost our minds. So we're not we're not asking for money. However, we do, Shank. We were given another virtual chip. Oh. Yeah, what was exceeded, this one? It was we've we've quickly have exceeded three hundred followers on Instagram. Nice. So uh, we were sent a uh, virtual chip on the gram. <laughs> for, okay. We're having three hundred followers anyway. Good to uh, good to be here today. We have a great guest. We're looking uh, forward to to hearing her experience. We're excited to have her on on. And uh, Kim, how are you? I'm doing good, Jerry. All right. Tell you? Us about yourself. I'm doing excellent. Cool, cool. Yeah, so uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Kim. And as always, I'm grateful to be sober and uh, honored to be able to do anything for Alcoholics Anonymous that's going to help somebody else to get this life-saving message. A little bit about Kim. Uh, I was born in New York in the 60s. <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. And that was a time when there was, uh, you know, our country had, was dealing with a lot of controversy. Needless to say, if, if there's ever been a time, you know, we had the, a lot of civil movements and stuff going on, a lot of migrations and stuff happening in our country and war. So uh, I uh, moved from New York when I got older. You know, I lived in California for about uh, 15 years. I was in the military and the Marine Corps. And... Uh, now I live in North Carolina. I've been down here since 2004. And I I guess I, you'd say I'm a Southern girl via New York or something, you know? <laughs> I, really like, I really like being down here. I never would have thought I'd be someone who'd like being down in the country, but I really do love it out here. And uh, I got sober in 2006. Um, when I moved down here, I found that I could... Uh, do some of the same things with some of the same people as every place else that I went. And um, thank God, by the grace of God, I finally got to the end of myself. You know, I finally got to the point where I surrendered to the fact that uh, of myself, I'm nothing. I'm powerless over this thing, this disease, this allergy. And that if I continue to try to do things my way, my life's going to keep looking like it looked and it looked pretty bad. As a matter of fact, by the time I surrendered, I was homeless and I got to get sober in uh, one of these great uh, recovery institutions that we have down here. Uh, it was uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, when I was uh, inside that, uh, oh, that institution. Man. Wow. And I, didn't even, and I didn't even know what day it was. <laughs> I later came to uh, relate that to 
the God of my understanding, trying to tell me once again, Kim, I love you. And uh, what exactly am I supposed to be talking about? I'm well, sorry. No, you're good. Work. That that's that's perfect. Uh, perfect. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. We're, we're glad yeah. you got sober. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Shank, yeah, what's the uh, what's our topic today? Our topic today is: Do you think you're different? So, in this know. second season, we have been um, naming our episodes after pamphlets. So, there is a pamphlet. It is it is called "Do You Think You're Different?" I believe uh, years ago it used to be called "So You Think You're Different." That's correct. Um, yep. It is now. Do you think you're different? Uh, so I'm going to read just a little bit from the pamphlet. This is um, on page 35. This comes from page 35 of the pamphlet. It says, we have found it unwise to limit our AA circle to folks exactly like ourselves. Segregation gives our uniqueness an unhealthy emphasis. We find it more enjoyable and more healing to get into the mainstream of AA life and mingle with everybody else not just different people. Here we are. We are all different. We are we are all pretty special people, but we are also all alcoholics and all sober in AA together. In this, we are more like each other than different. Hence, in AA, we find the shared humanity that enables us to live out our wildly differing lives and pursue our separate and individual destinies. You are welcome to join us. Hmm. So if you have not read this pamphlet, it's a great one. I mean, I think all of the pamphlets so far some of them are not my favorite but this one has a lot of good information and i think um maybe things that i didn't even know were in an aa pamphlet personally yeah that's some pretty powerful stuff i it's hard to believe it's actually in the pamphlet i know i, I know it's uh we had to pull that one out and use it some so kim tell us a little bit about when you got sober it, how you kind of overcame differences and, and I'm sure you, you, maybe you didn't feel different. Yeah. So um, I like that they changed the name. You know, I did read the pamphlet when it was called, so you think you're different. You know, I, I, as I reflect back the first time I came in, it was actually 1990 and I stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous for almost a decade as a dry drunk. I was abstaining mm -hmm. and I was hanging around with the fellowship and uh, I loved going to meetings uh, in that particular area of New York, I'd walk in a room and there were a lot of young people and a lot of African-Americans at that. And I'd walk in a room and it was like cheers. Mm. <laughs> and that really kept me coming, you know, but it didn't it didn't convince me that I had a problem. So I, you know, I go to the meetings and parrot the lingo and interact uh. with all the people there and I'd have a good time. But I never thought about doing any work on myself. So that same woman eventually drank again. And let me say, like the first a, I, I went to find an AA meeting that actually had black people in it. And I hope that's okay that I use that terminology. Like I said, I was born in the 60s. To, they, they relabel everything in the BPC. You know what I mean? But I was a little <laughs> yeah, black woman growing up and I'm still a black woman. Yeah. That's so, fine. Indeed. We're not PC indeed. here. Trust me. All right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and so when I first went to the first meeting on one part of Long Island, I walked in a room at 25 years old. And they were all middle-aged white men in that room. <laughs> and I looked around the room and I thought to myself, these guys can't possibly understand me. They can't possibly uh, uh, understand where I'm coming from, what I'm thinking. And 
more than anything, they probably don't like me. Because, you know, there's always that whole idea that people who are not like you don't like you because you're different. So I went and I, I went into the other part of uh, Long Island where it was kind of closer, closer to, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, like we call them neighborhoods. They actually short form call them hoods, you know, and I found an AA meeting there. And that's when I found young people who wanted to go to parties and, you know, they weren't drinking, you know, but they were, we were pretty dysfunctional, <laughs> to say the least. And I had a great time. I left there in New York to go to California. Uh, I was in California while I was in the military, but then I went after I discharged. I went back to New York and that's when I, you know, got into, because in the military, I didn't have a drinking problem. Everybody drank like I did, at least everybody who I hung out with. So, yeah. <sighs> so by the time I got back there and I noticed there was a little bit of difference, thank God for that surrender. And looking for my first AA meeting, that was my first experience. And my second one was like, this is cool, but I really didn't want to do any work. So when I moved back to California, because it was way too cold in New York, I started working outside in electrical construction. And that year, it snowed 17 times. And I said, this is ridiculous, because I was just in California. And at uh, Christmas time, we were in the jacuzzis. So I'm like, I'm not going to stay out here with all of this. I'm going to go over there and, uh, what I didn't realize is, you know, not only do I take me with me and my disease wherever I go, but that I was staying sober on the fellowship alone. And so when I went back to went back in, in went to the meetings in California, it wasn't like the meetings in New York. No one knew my name. No one. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that sense of welcome and belonging there. Um, it was still black people there and young people there. And, you know, but no one knew me. And I felt like an outsider. And I tried to reach out to people and, you know. But I still had in my mind, I guess, a sense of arrogance. I hadn't done any work. And so it was like, eh, I've been, you know, sober at that point. It's probably about eight years. I don't know. Uh, I don't need them. Like, if they don't like me, I don't need them. And uh took about a couple of years hanging out at pool parties and stuff. You can find a lot of interesting things to do when you're drinking, especially in Cali where the sun shines all the time. <laughs> and uh it took a little while, but that same woman drank again. And when I drank again, uh, a lot of the yets happened. A lot of yets happened. One of the things that happened was my mom passed away and uh, she lived here in North Carolina. And I was trying to get here actually before she did, but I didn't make it here. I did get to talk to her on the phone before she transitioned. And uh, when I got here to North Carolina, it took a little while before I found those spots. Like I said, the place is the same people. And uh, I ended up homeless. That's how I got sober in an institution. And uh I guess uh, the first thing that I noticed in that institution, which there w- there was some favoritism going on from, because uh, I mean anyone who who grows up in, in America and says that they they don't see race or don't don't recognize race or don't then I don't think they're being honest with themselves, because I I can and <laughs> I know for me I can see the differences you know I can see the differences and I can sometimes feel like perhaps there's a, a, a different kind of treatment that might be, you know, for, for, for me, I'm going to keep it on me and not make this a social political issue. Cause I was in this institution and I remember I was teaching the girls Zumba and I was out there conducting class. And uh, one of the, the uh, directors there at the program at the time came out, she thought it was a really, really great idea. And she asked one of uh, the girls working out with me, if they would mind teaching the class to to the rest of the girls that aren't participating, because at the time I just had a small group of about five of us and she wanted to extend it throughout the facility. 
And uh, uh, my good friend who was, you know, next to me, she was the one that started along with me doing that class. She said, I'm not the teacher. I'm not the instructor. She is. And uh, once, you know, she pointed my way and the director looked at me, uh, she didn't say anything else about it. She didn't say anything more about it. All of a sudden, that wasn't a good idea. And uh, I couldn't help but think that uh, it's because I'm Black. And so... um, I was in the institution and it was, it was demanded, like we, we were not ha- allowed to have phones and we we're not allowed to have vehicles. And we were discouraged from asking our family members to come and get us. They wanted us to reach out into the community. And uh, I was in North Raleigh and that's exactly what I did. I started reaching out to the women who would uh, come up there to the facility. And uh, one of the things I noticed more than anything is the white women reached out to me. And that was kind of different for me. Because uh, being uh, so new and uh, my my self-esteem and my self-worth was so low. And to have them reach out to me and want to befriend me and, and want to help me gave me a whole new attitude about like, like not only who I was, but who you guys are and the, uh, the unconditional love and, and help that I received was uh, from the women in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I could tell you, like, I could usually count on one hand when I looked around the rooms of AA of how many Black women. You know, you might find a couple of Black guys, but there were hardly any when I look around. But the women in Alcoholics Anonymous never made me feel different. They never made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And, uh, that's that's heartwarming right there. That's heartwarming in itself. You know, this I always uh, looked at people and thought that I could judge you from your outsides and that you looked at me and you judged me from my outside. And uh, if we were alike in some ways, then we had, uh, you know, something in common and something going and maybe we would get along. But if we were different, And especially when it comes to race, this country has been plagued by race. And uh, I just thought that, you know, you wouldn't like me. And I was so wrong. I remember I'd go to AA meetings and uh, I just see things. My mind would open up to so many things that that, uh, I never never knew. First of all, I never knew that men cried. You know, that, that was amazing to me. Like, I always thought I was different from guys, too, because I grew up with six brothers, being in New York and being in the Marines. And... I always thought that men were different and I tried really, really hard to be more like my brothers. I competed with them in so many different areas and the treatment that we got at home was like different. Cause like when they were allowed to go and play ball, I was supposed to stay here and help mom in the kitchen. And it was like, this is discriminatory in itself as well. You know, so I never really, <laughs> yeah, I never, I never really got to, to, to embrace myself for who I was and to know guys to be, um, um, like me in a way it's like everything was so superficial um in in my in my world in in my mind in my vision before um getting really introduced to the program the principles and and the way that we live here in Alcoholics Anonymous and so remember the first time I saw a guy cry like and I was I was just like kind of cringing like I was so uncomfortable like I'd never seen that kind of display of emotion and uh I was in a meeting one time and I was still very very new and guy that had been going to meetings for a really, really long time. He uh, looked at me and he said, uh, Kim, what do you think about that? 
And I thought to myself, first of all, this guy <laughs> knows my name and cares how I felt. And uh, yeah, he was a white guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like it was just—it was just crazy. I was in another meeting, and there was a gang of bikers that was in there and stuff. And from what I—I I don't know, maybe seen on TV or something, because I know I never hung out with bikers. <laughs> I don't know where I got this idea. Right. Bikers are supposed to be like they, <laughs> they come inside and tear up the bars, and they're rough, they're tough, and they, you know. <laughs> It just it was a whole negative uh, connotation stereotype in my head about them and mean and I they're surely not gonna like me. Surely those guys gotta be racist or whatever. You know, and uh you know, the tats all up their arms and there's those guys loved me. They loved me. They loved me, they accepted me, they embraced me, and um I loved them back. And uh that's the experience that I just kept getting throughout Alcoholics Anonymous that I came in here with all these ideas of how I wasn't going to fit in and how people weren't going to like me. As, as we all come in here feeling unworthy to begin with. From I was, It was nothing, nothing less than miraculous when you guys said, well, Kim, of course you feel bad. Look at how you were living. If you want, <laughs> if you want some self-esteem, let's try doing some esteemable acts. I was like, wow, what a concept. You uh-huh. guys said the simplest things. It would be like light bulbs would come on. I was like, oh, no doubt. But so we all come in here feeling really low, feeling really low, feeling really worthless, you know, all that whole deal. But of course, some of us who come in here, we don't see people who look like us whether they be the same gender or they be the same race or, you know, some, some way that we feel like it makes a connection. It adds that, that extra sense of, okay, I do not belong. Um, but the people in AA erase those lines. They erase those lines. They, uh, it's a, it's a language of the heart that's spoken in Alcoholics Anonymous and you get to understand that, uh, Inside, inside, we're all the same. We all feel the same. We think the same thoughts. We may have had different life experiences to get here, but we all basically want the same things. Like it says, to be happy, joyous, and free, to be loved, to be in communion with one another. You know, and it's hmm. It gives it freed it freed me up to be able to uh, not be so so self aware, so, so to speak so self-conscious and not just in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but in the world in general. You know, I just, I just grew up here. I grew up here. I evolved here, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm more than my skin tone. I'm more than my hair, you know, I'm more than all of that, that you can see. And I know that today too, about the people who are coming to contact with, they're more than what I can see. As a matter of fact, the thing that I can see is probably the less reliable than the things that I can feel and I'll be able to hear if I just pay attention. So, yeah. um, I never say I'm just another bozo on the bus. Let me just say that first of all. I don't want to call myself a bozo. I just don't (laughs) say it, okay? That's very demeaning. I've done enough beating up on Kim. So I say I'm just another child of God trying to live in the image and likeness of her creator one day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So... Wayne, let's, I mean, you came in in the late 80s, right? I did. Old B-Bot by 89. the Bell Old Timer. 89. So, yeah. 
how did you feel different? I think I, I personally believe that most people feel some sort of difference as Kim was kind of saying, when you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, like we'll find something to feel other than. Well, I had, I had just gotten out of the military. So I, I thought I was different because of that, but more importantly, I was, I was relatively young. I, you know, just turned 22 mm-hmm. and, um, I also used, um, needles and smoke rock. <laughs> now I'm alcoholic. I, I'm, right. I'm clear. I'm clear on that. <laughs> yeah, well, right. but I thought it, I thought it was cool that I did powder. Right. <laughs> you know, I was a little on that piece. I was a little better than the, the pure guzzler. Uh huh. Cause you know, I'm, I'm cool. And, um, so those, that made me feel different. And I had this big, like, deal with, um, you know, parents got divorced. And mm-hmm. I um, I was kind of caught up all in the middle of that and caught my dad doing some stuff that he shouldn't have been doing when I was a kid. And I just carried that stuff with me. Um, <laughs> even, even, you know, just stuff that happens to you as a kid with, with trauma and abuse and things like that um so i i brought all that here um Mm -hmm. but mostly the the being you know thinking i was young and all that and i'll tell you i had a similar experience in that i i didn't end up at a young person's group i ended up in just a, a group that was actually a pretty good mix of people and no one ever now I did hear in other meetings you'd you'd hear stuff, oh you're so yeah, we're so glad you got sober young. No one ever said that to me specifically, but I would you would hear that stuff and of course the one the uh, the shrapnel uh I drank more than you or I spilled more liquor than you drank that I think we shot that down last week, didn't we, Shank? Yep. <laughs> so I, I mean you I heard some of that stuff, but the group I got sober and they never even I don't think anybody ever asked me how old I was. I mean, it never, it was just never an issue. And I just, they just said, come along. You know, if you want help here, here we are, just come along and do what we do. And I never, I I mean, I, I never felt like unwanted or um, like I didn't fit in or anything like that. Now I, I had those feelings, but they never made me, no one ever, impressed that upon me. It was just my own insecurities and fears. Yeah. And um I don't know. I've just tried to carry that on to other people. I mm-hmm. I mean I don't even when you when you try to help somebody, I, I never ask questions about their background or their education or their social standing or um and I think that I mean it's one of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous is that we do have a common problem but we have a common solution and it doesn't matter what else you are. If you take care of your drinking first and your alcoholism, that all that other stuff uh, levels out. So yeah. now Shank, you were, you were really different. I'm still different. <laughs> but, but hold on now. The pamphlet did say we're special. We're yeah, all, I'm special. We're, we're all <laughs> special. So you're special. 
like the little bus. That's right. You know, when I arrived to Alcoholics Anonymous, I um, I thought, well, what I was told was look for the similarities. Um, so I was trying to do that. I was told to go to a lot of meetings. Um, try to find people that were similar to me. And I think that was in terms of, because I would, let me think I was 23, 24 when I got here and I landed in a group that, uh, was a really good mix of people. Also it met downtown. Um, I really liked that, but I just felt like I was a little bit worse than everyone because people would ask me like, Oh, well, you know, how'd you end up here? We don't ever come in here on a high note, da, 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 whatever. Right. And it would usually be followed with like, oh, did you get a DUI? Because as much as it may be hard for people who know me now to believe, I was very quiet. I wore a hoodie with the hood on my head. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, I just wanted to like, I don't know, just live my life in silence. I, I just knew I needed to get sober. And... You know, I I related to a lot of what people were saying, but I just thought I was a little bit worse than everyone else because I had committed crimes. I had almost killed two people. I Mm -hmm. was going to prison, but I didn't know when and for how long. And I was hearing people share in meetings like things they had done, but it was more in terms of and then I started working the steps and all my felonies went away. And I just knew that was not going to happen for me. Um. So I felt very different in the sense of like, I was actually going to go to prison, whereas everyone else that I kind of heard didn't have to. And I don't wish that upon anyone. Um, But I was not hashtag blessed to not have to do that. Um, So I felt very different. And I kept listening to try to hear someone tell my story, hear a sober woman tell the story of committing crimes and going to prison and staying sober and everything working out and being okay and I wasn't hearing it so I just felt like you know I can't be completely honest because what if you know y'all change your mind about me and say well we could have dealt with a lot of things but like you are the worst case scenario you know like I mean it just sounds so silly now it sounds so silly but and I would like to also say that at some point a sponsor told me you know when I got out of prison I would not share that I had been to prison I would just say like well you know I had things to 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 work out in my sobriety and like I don't even remember everything I would say but I would not say oh by the way guys I was gone to prison and you know, a sponsor pointed out to me like, well, well, Susie, you know, you're not hearing those things because you're not saying them. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. you're so unwilling to be honest about who you are and what happened. And, you know, you're limiting the amount of women that you can help by not being willing to share and be honest. That's true. And it was like, Mm -hmm. as soon as I did that, as soon as I said in a meeting, like, oh yeah, well, I went to prison. I mean, 
it could have been the next day, but I was involved with corrections. I was going to, yeah. you know, the corrections conference and instant um, celebrity status. In AA instant, I mean, that. if I knew <laughs> that I was going to make me an AA celebrity to have actually had to do the thing that everyone fears so much, uh, maybe I would have said it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Your street cred goes up the worse you are in AA. It's a funny thing. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Uh, so here's a few questions for us. So here's one, Kim. What do you think about this question? Who cannot get sober in AA? Get sober. The person who cannot who get sober. The person who doesn't want to. That's probably right. That's the right answer. That's probably yeah. That's probably it. Yeah. Anybody else can. Yeah. Regardless of your, regardless of circumstances, I had a friend that uh, lived in the, I don't know, the worst part of Brooklyn. Going up to her apartment, I was stepping over drug addicts laying on the staircase. And as soon as you come outside, it was drug transactions going over here and people hanging out at the liquor store over there. And I was like, I looked around, how in the world do you stay sober? She says, you got to want it. Boom. Yeah. And there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want it. Who cannot get sober? So you can get sober if you don't have a college mm-hmm. degree? Yeah, because I don't yeah, understand you, that constitutionally get... incapable. I don't understand that constitutionally incapable thing either. I don't I never got that one, Jerry. Those of us who are constitutionally <laughs> incapable of being honest with ourselves. What is that? That and then they go right to mental illness, because that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> they go right to mental illness. It's like I don't know what in the world. The only person who can't get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous is the person who doesn't want to. Anybody else can get sober here. Not no other disclaimers. Yeah. That's right. Go ahead, fire away, man. I'm 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 I'm, well, I'm on fire. Wait, I got you answers. are on fire. I got answers. <laughs> you do have some answers. Now I will I will say this about Shank. Your your uh your experience is a little unique. I don't want to make you feel like you're special, but a, a, a female with charges that gets sober and then goes to prison and stays yeah. sober and gets out, that's a that's a you don't hear that a lot. No, you don't. I've never heard it's, it before. It's pretty it's it's a pretty unique situation. So we're not telling you that you're different. Right. I guess just here's simple. I guess here's just special. Here's the, you're special, but I guess here's the point of all that is <laughs> even though you had those things going, we still recover the same. Well, yeah. And there were several, like, I mean, I only drank for, you know, about four or five years before all of that happening. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that to people and they're like, oh, I thought you were probably drinking since you were like seven, because didn't you say you lived in a trailer park and da, 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 and like whatever the other stuff is, right? The preconceived notions of what kind of person goes to prison, truthfully, um, similar to what Kim was saying, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I don't tell every person I ever meet outside of AA, like, hey, guess what? I've been to prison. Like I was in max security. Like I don't do that. But, um, you know, it is interesting kind of like the, the perception that you may get if you, if people do find out like, oh my God, well, I thought you were a nice, lovely woman and wow, you can really disguise that. Yeah. And it, yeah, 
it's interesting when we get here and we got all these things and we think they're the worst things. And then when we tell somebody in AA, they're like, Oh, okay, let's, let's make some coffee or okay. Let's, uh, let's continue with the steps that people don't, it's just not a big deal. It's not a big deal at all. You know, uh, I thought I was different cause I didn't drink for that long. I've met plenty of people who drank less time than me and are alcoholics and ended up in AA and they're yep. sober. Yep. You know? So I don't do even you... know. I just saw I just saw in my mind like orange is the new black and stuff. I, I just started <laughs> tripping. I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. What? And you look like you could do a movie too, boy. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So how do you come about accepting differences? And Eddie, when you come here and find out that you are maybe a little different or Kim? You may go first. Um uh how do you come about accepting the differences? Okay, so what happens is the language of the heart is spoken in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the language of the heart has no 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 difference to it. Like it doesn't when someone speaks from their heart, you don't see anything that you could have been using to make yourself different from that person. Because on the inside, in our heart, where it all lies, where the true, where the truth exists, where the true us exists in there, it's like the same person. And you can hear it when it's spoken because we speak the, we speak our truths. You know, we're not trying to come out going, from what I see, trying to impress anybody, trying to, you know, we really just want to get better. And uh, we're taught that this is what we do. I mean, I had a young man that, went to a meeting with me when he was four years old and I was in my twenties then. And uh, he sat in the rooms and he listened for a little while and he nudged me and he goes, you guys tell each other your business. Like (laughs) four year old, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And And when we do, when we open up and we're honest like that, we're all just so just like the same. I don't know if that's yeah. the word. It's only with that sameness, that oneness, you know, it's just that connection that happens. That's why they say we're uniquely qualified to help one another because yeah. of that connection. So, yeah, I think one of the things that helped me was when I, I did that, I did a fifth step and I was sharing some stuff with that guy and he didn't even like mm-hmm. bat an eye and started sharing some other stuff with me that he'd done. And it was like all this stuff that I thought was just such a, a big deal and was going to take to the grave. I mean, he, it just, it, it, it wasn't a big deal. And then I've, I know we say this a lot in A, it's hard to understand it when you're new, but when they said that, Hey, you're going to be able to use all those experiences and, you know, that so-called uniqueness to help somebody else, somebody's going to be able to identify with that. And, you know, I quickly found out that that actually was true. that, you know, and then we are we all of us are uniquely qualified to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And when you start sharing that with somebody and find out that people identify and can relate to it, it it helps you just to accept who you are. Sure. Uh, Indeed. I agree. Now here's mm-hmm. one for us. Huh? Is the literature in AA outdated and exclusive? Oh, wow. Instead, instead of inclusive. Wow. Literature and A outdated and exclusive. 
Wow. So I was just in uh, 100 assemblies and stuff, and we were talking about it over and over, that that re, that re, uh, rewriting a lot, a lot of, and some things have already been changed and uh, outdated and exclusive. I think that, um, yes, <laughs> yes, it was, um, it was written from the perspective of those who wrote it. So therefore, when it says things like, um, it, well, of course, it uses the, the masculine pronoun all throughout. So there's another really good book that I read. Um, and it, it talked about one thing they changed in 12 and 12 was when everyone wants to find a mate of the opposite sex. You know, they actually changed that. Um, it talks specifically um, about alcohol. This is Alcoholics Anonymous. And it talks specifically about alcohol. And if people don't know, I mean, they even renamed a story so that we didn't have the word addict in our literature. And if people don't know, um, they might get discouraged. Like myself, I was a little bit confused because I was an alcoholic that had decided I was going to change seats on a Titanic many times and try other things to try and fix me that also didn't work. By the time I got here, I didn't know I was an alcoholic, but clearly I could see I was a drug addict. And so uh, I think that uh, if the person uh, doesn't seek out the help, because that's what I heard and how it works is without help, it is too much for you and ask the right questions, they could possibly get uh, discouraged because of the literature. But if you got a sponsor and you ask these questions, you know, yeah, you'll be able to get through that too. But yeah, it is. It is. I mean, we can only speak from our own perspective. We're we're getting better. We're getting better at being more inclusive. But initially, the big book uh, was written in in masculine sense for heterosexual white men. That's who they were. That's who they were. It says things like. You know, we can't be men. Every, every, I'm sorry to laugh, but it says every young man, boy dreams of being president. I'm like, who are these guys? <laughs> now, now that's in the now, 12 and 12. The guys, the guys I was growing up with were not dreaming of being president. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They didn't even think they could, like, you know, even survive in this country and stuff. He was dreaming of being president. Yeah, I never dreamed of being president either. Shank, what do you think? <laughs> Well, I think specifically since we've been doing season two on all the pamphlets that are available, it kind of opened my eyes. You know, yes, I have restocked the pamphlets at my home group. I have taken them into correctional facilities. I've seen them at our local intergroup office. But I don't think that I ever really um, considered reading all of them. So since I've been reading through, you know, the ones that we have had on the podcast already and several others, you know, what I realized is they do have pamphlets for Native American, gay, lesbian, bi, I can't remember the name of that one, Um, but several like specific groups of people. And what is interesting to me is like, they all say the same things. They just change out like one word here, one word here, one word here. And I think, you know, if that's what's necessary to hand to someone when they come into the meeting, you know, we obviously have all of these pamphlets um, for a reason. Our Mm -hmm. 
our, maybe we have our group conscience of AA has decided to go that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, with that being said, I just don't, I was able to get sober with the big book alone, basically, you know, I mean, I had some experience in AA. I had two months of experience in AA before I went to prison. Um, and I was told, listen, read this book and do what it tells you to do. And you'll be able to get and stay sober and you have to help other people. The verbiage in it, personally, it just didn't really bother me. You know, I was at that place of complete spiritual death that I was willing to read what I could in the book, understand what I could in the book, pray for help, ask for help, um, try to help other women. You know, I was on a third step, taking someone through the first step, reading back through the book. And even though I did not really understand what was going on and I didn't feel qualified, I stayed sober. You know, I was able um, to look past all of that, to get to, um, you know, what I do today. And there was a point in time where I was like, well, I missed out on a lot because there's all this other literature and there's all this other stuff people are doing. And all I had was the book and I was trying to help people and it's not fair. I feel different because I wasn't able to do the things other people do. And what I've realized over the years is like, that was the greatest gift to be able to look to the literature, to have a relationship with God, um, you know, and just say, Hey, this was a divinely inspired book when it was written. And the first Mm -hmm. 100 got together, uh, which my understanding, it wasn't all men. I don't know a ton of history. Um, but, and here I am, you know, so I look to the other conference approved literature that we have, the pamphlets are conference approved and, Um, I like having those on hand and now I'm just like, we have a pamphlet for everything. You know, Mm -hmm. the stories in the back reflect our, our fellowship widely. Um, and so that's kind of, that's what I relied on when I was newly sober. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, off and on, I've always read the pamphlets, but I've had the same experience you did the last, I guess, couple months since we've been covering them. I've been reading a lot of them. All the ones we've covered, I've read, and I've been, it's been an eye opener to see how, I guess, how modern and up to date some of the, the, the pamphlets are. I mean, they basically, it basically covers everything. And, but I don't think a lot of them are read. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't think they're widely read in AA. And even, um, even the stories in the back of the book, I mean, I, I mean, that was my understanding was that, we we kind of stay up to date by changing the stories in the back of the book and by um, updating the pamphlets. There's just some, some great information in there. The the um, the the instructions on the you know for taking the steps. I've always known or believe they're in the big book, and I think it helped me to to Kim mention this was to have a sponsor. Right. Mm-hmm. So by 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 having a sponsor and some other people in A that that understood how to take the steps and how to actually um you know do those things, that helped me with the book. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and now I you know, 
you could you could debate it all day long whether you want to rewrite the book or not. I guess they've already decided to write it in plain English. They're calling that a new translation, right. which you know, that, right. that, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, Listen, I, have you? I will say this: Have you read any of it that they were? It is harder to understand than the big book. I agree. <laughs> And I didn't oh, have a freaking dictionary when I was reading the big book. And yeah. the way they've rewritten it, it's harder to understand. <laughs> so, well, the, anyway, the, anyway. the examples I've read, or that's I've had that experience. Hell, if they want to rewrite something, they should rewrite the 12 and 12. It's goofy. Yeah. <laughs> it's got some flowery, lofty terms in there. It does. Well, if we're going to re- rewrite it for people that are not educated and they're the ones that need to understand it, then they're probably the ones that need to write it. Yeah. I'll oh, get off my right. soapbox about this, but no, like, that's, yeah. that's an interesting thought. Yeah. That is very interesting that, see, because we can only write what we know, right? And so yeah. if the audience is trying to, if they're trying to, that was a very good point that you just made there, that they should really confer with people who they said they wanted to make it on a lower uh, educational level, that they should really have had some people there and ask them, does this mean, what does Kim, this mean to you? Kim, absolutely. This, I'm going to bend your ear this weekend. You're not even ready. I am ready, girl. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't do that, Kim, because oh, they're no. doing what's best for us. They they right. know what we need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being kind and gentle. I don't. don't I'm I, not. When, I'm not being kind or gentle. When is that yeah, book? Well, when is that book available? Can we I, get it? Can I don't we get know. The plain language yet? Not yet. No, not yet. No. I want a copy. Yeah, they've I got one. There's already one out. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> so that's that's plain language to you, right? Man, yeah. I had to read it with a brought the emotional appeal seldom suffices. I had to read it with a dictionary. Yeah. I didn't even know frothy was the same as like the mm-hmm. froth on the top of the beer. I knew yeah. the word froth, but I never associated it with the with appeal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's like adjectives with what is this stuff? Hey, listen, they didn't know what that meant back in the 30s. <laughs> right. They were I like, mean, it, it sounds good. So it it sounds good. great. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Oh it's my so goodness. Good. I love it. I was in school too when I was getting sober about, I think I waited at least four years. Yeah. Four years before I went back to school and I would use some of the vocabulary from Alcoholics Anonymous. My <laughs> grades were going up. Boy, I was going like, up, yeah. huh? <laughs> well, it helped you then. Yeah. See, we don't yeah. need to rewrite it because I got through school. I honey. love the big book. <laughs> that is so oh, funny. Man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the last thing we need, we don't need any more pamphlets. I don't think. No, we, I think we have plenty. I mean, they have ones for, you know, the older alcoholic, the younger alcoholic accessibilities. Um, I want them to write one for a guy with good hair. Well, a guy with good hair, you know, we'll just blur out your face and use you as the the model. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Let's uh, Shank, let's move on to meeting shrapnel. All right. Shrapnel. All right, uh, Kim Shrapnel. Buckle okay. up, Kim. It's our segment of lore, myth, and sayings frequently heard in AA. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. What's so the first one? Here is meeting shrapnel number one. If you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you'll get a haircut. <laughs> and- <laughs> 
Listen. I hear people say this in reference to AA all the time. Yes, they do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. People, places, and things, right? Yes. What do you what do you think about this one? Listen, I worked in a barber shop years ago and um Although this is true to a degree, uh-huh. um, I don't understand it in a relation to AA. It's like, what, if you hang out in AA long enough, you'll get sober? Is that what it's like trying to say? Or No, it's actually no, the opposite. No, it's the opposite. The opposite. So, well, yeah, go ahead, Kim. Well, I mean, it's people, places, and things. So if I keep going over my friend's house and, you know, they're drinking, they're doing all the things I used to do, but, uh, you know, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just going to drink my water, drink my Pepsi or whatever, and I'm hanging out, I'm hanging out in this so-called barbershop. Eventually, I'm going to start wondering again, you know, if am I really an alcoholic? <laughs> I never you knew go. that's what that meant when people said it in AA. Now my head yeah. Yeah, Y'all so you would say blown my freaking mind. Yeah, that's what it means. So, like, if a guy like wasn't it didn't show up for some meetings for a while, and and you found out he was at the club or he was at his you know his buddy's house, seeing you know letting him know he was sober, then you would say, well, hey, you know, if you hang out at the barbershop long, if you're going to get a haircut. Oh, mean mean if you hang out somewhere <laughs> like that long, if you're going to relapse. That's, that's how you shank. You didn't know that? Wow, no. <laughs> I had no idea that that's, I don't think I've ever heard anyone use it that way, though. I think it's just oh, like kind of said as a one-off thing. <laughs> this is, hey, this is out of here. Late 80s, early 90s, you heard it almost every yeah. meeting. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it was very popular. That's what I, I was guess thinking, too. Because of my career, like, I did not think of it at all in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, Kim, what do you think? You want to keep it or scrap it? Long enough, you're gonna get a haircut. I like it. I Ooh. like it. I vote. I vote keep it. No. Okay, I vote scrap it because I didn't I'm understand sc- it. I'm, I don't. <laughs> what about you, Jay? You scrapping it? I'm scrapping it. Oh. I don't like it. Hang out at the barbershop long enough. <laughs> it's, it, 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 sounds, it goes over a whole lot better with sponsees, with new people, than saying, yeah. man, if you keep doing that, you're going to relapse. <laughs> yes. They really take offense to the fact that their behavior <laughs> might lead to their relapse. <laughs> That's right. So just say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they get they get a little angry. I don't know why. <laughs> they do get angry. All, All right, right, Kim. Shank, what's next? Here is meeting shrapnel number two. It's better to give a resentment than get one. I hate that. I hate that one. I really, you know, I tried to break it down. I tried to break it down, man, and, and make it be good for me. And it just doesn't <laughs> fit. It just doesn't fit. You know, what I thought about, though, in, in, in a relation to that, it was, when I heard a saying by Thomas Jefferson, I think they said he said it, I don't know, that if you're afraid to offend, you can't be honest. Well, whoa. well, I was like, whoa, whoa, that, that kind of, that kind of rings kind of true to me. Uh-huh. 
Me you too. Know? Yeah. So better that I give you a resentment with the truth. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, don't, I don't know. And, and, and get resentful at myself. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So is this okay, wait. So is this saying to be honest? Like, no. How are we gonna get a resentment? No, what does I, this mean? What does this mean? I don't think I've ever heard this one either. So this came from a listener. I think. I've never heard it. I've never actually heard anybody say it. I mean, but Me I think what it's saying is it's better to piss people off than to have them get pissed off. And get pissed off. Yeah. So so either way, it's not very spiritual. It's not in line no. with principles. <laughs> exactly. So, That's the point. Yeah. Get out of here. I, I think being honest with people is is one thing, but if you temper it with love, it's fine. But this is, yeah, this is like, this got to go. I'm going to scrap it. Shane? Scrap it. Scrap it. It's out of here. (laughs) All right. All right, Kim? Yes. Meeting shrapnel number three is look for the similarities, not the differences. Definitely. Definitely. That that's uh um, what's the other saying that goes right along with that one? For the feelings, uh, identify. That's the way I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Identify with the feelings. You know, because you try to compare yourself, and then you find, well, I didn't do this, and this person did that, and so now I'm different again. Work for them, it's not gonna work for me. Constantly trying to find ways not to uh, uh, let this thing work. In, in, in our lives by, you know, differencing ourselves, othering ourselves, you know. But if you look for the similarities, you know, well, here's this person, even in Bill's story, here's this person who worked in Wall Street banking. Hey, so did I. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> now I feel more connected to the founders. <laughs> there you go. Hey, it sounds like you're on the campaign not to rewrite this book. I like it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I love the big book. I I absolutely have. I don't know if you guys got that out of what I said at first, because the question was, is it was it written in a in a certain vein, you know, and it was. But whether or not I was able to identify with it and get sober, proof positive here right now. (laughs) It worked. I only got sober on the big book. That's all I had was the big book and a sponsor. And a dictionary yeah. and a highlighter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey. That's the AA starter kit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what do you think, Jay Wayne? Sh- well, Shank, this one, um, I can't, I know we're notorious for shooting down shrapnel. <laughs> this one was very helpful to me, actually, when I was new. Um, yeah, because again, you know, I thought I was, I was different and, when somebody said look for the similarities not the differences it, it actually really helped me to keep an open mind mm. and uh, to listen to people and to not do so much comparison and mm-hmm. um, I think it it probably helped me stay here mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the idea of it so yeah I um, I like it yeah. Shank I like it I do. I like this one. (laughs) Uh, Now, the similarities that I was seeing early on, uh, there were four speakers that I heard. They were all men, but they were young. They like around my age. 
And, um, you know, they talked about getting in trouble with the law and all this different stuff. And I'm like, okay, they told the, I'm positive, the longest drunk logs you've ever heard. I'm <laughs> absolutely sure of it. But I could relate to it. And I said, you know, if these guys can get sober, I thought they had been sober forever. It was like a year. Right. It's like, I probably can too. I can probably go to prison and stay sober and what yeah. have you. Now, three of those men relapse and have yeah. since been in and out um, mm. a lot. So, yeah. you know, anytime they're in or out, I'm just like, you know, hey, like I, that is the person that I related to when I was new. Mm -hmm. um, so... <laughs> You know, it helps me have that compassion for them too. But those similarities, you know, I wasn't hearing any women from the podium saying like I had, I went to prison and stayed sober and da 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 whatever. So mm -hmm. I like this one. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't too. even about going to prison. It was about working the steps, having a spiritual experience, um, doing better, feeling better, helping yeah. others. You know. Yeah. Kim, you want to keep it? Scrap it. Yeah, keep that one. That's a good one. All right, I'm going to keep it. Shank? We're keeping it. All right. Hey, again, for all you out there, we're notorious for scrapping stuff. We kept one. We kept one. So Kim put it had on us your... in, a, in the spirit. <laughs> put it on a <laughs> slogan board and put it in your clubhouse. <laughs> Look for the similar look for the similarities, not the differences. Not the difference. All right. Kim, we appreciate you coming on and being with us today. It was, Man, what uh, an honor. This was really a joy for me. I was a little nervous in the beginning. I'm like, I I just recently getting the opportunity to meet Shank. I'm really looking forward to the trip we're gonna take together to get to know each other better. But I do know you, Jer, from around the neighborhood. You were here when I got here. And so, you know, people were here and they're involved and they're, you know, they kind of you're not never going to be anything but an alcoholic, you know, another human being, but you do deserve a certain level of respect, or at least you get it from me. So I'm like, I'm coming yeah. on this podcast and Jared's going to be there. And, uh, you know, I want to have my A game on, man. You know what I mean? But uh, you guys oh, have been man. awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome. And I'm looking forward to way more conversations, not necessarily recorded, <laughs> yeah. but way more conversations with yeah. the two of you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're out there and you think you're different, you might be a little different, but you can be free through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Freedom! That's right. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous. But we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode. <laughs>